This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Lord, we long to know you better. Pray, speak to us through your word and work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we may know you and become more like you. For the glory of your name, amen. Please take a seat. And let me start with a nice, bright question. What are you most thankful for right now? It might be health, you're here in person or your internet is working at home. Maybe family, uh, maybe work, or maybe if you're in Pittsburgh, we've had like a few days of sunshine, a few days of sunshine. Feeling thankful feels good. Second question, quite different. When did you last feel wretched? And not physically wretched, morally wretched. Not, oh, I can't find my keys again, I'm going to be late again, wretched, but I've done something clearly wrong, wretched. Now, you may be expecting a, an illustration from the preacher here about what this might be. Something vulnerable enough to be meaningful, um, long ago enough not to lose too much credibility. I called my wife for some ideas. She said she'd think about the options. Um, so I'm going to tell the story of the Clementine sliding down the kitchen wall. This was in um, Oxford 10 years ago, and I was working for a campus ministry doing outreach for students. And I had poured a lot of emotional energy into planning a week of events. We were halfway through. And it was not going well. And I was furious. And I was sitting down with a heavily pregnant wife, my heavily pregnant wife. Um, <laughs> and I was sharing my frustrations and peeling a clementine. And she listened sympathetically. And she asked, have you prayed about this? And that question triggered a volcano of rage in me. And I threw, I'm kind of tempted to do this, but I don't think I will. But I threw the clementine across the kitchen and it slammed into the wall and slid down, leaving this sort of orange slime behind. And Jane covered her bump defensively. And there's not much scarier than seeing your wife, your pregnant wife scared by you. Why did that question trigger the clementine throwing rage? Two moral failures. First, I had failed to make God's redeeming love the basis of my happiness and well-being and depended so much upon the external success in the eyes of others and the week was going badly. And secondly, I had failed to sufficiently trust God and others 
so was driven to micromanage and control everything, and things were going badly. If I had been prayerful, resting in God's loving presence, entrusting to him all things outside of my control, I, I could have eaten that clementine and enjoyed every citrusy bite. But I wasn't praying, why not? Because I was too busy controlling things to impress others and Jane knew it and deep down I knew it too and her question put a pin into my failure and thus the clementine was flung. The wall was stained, I was wretched, Jane was scared. I said sorry by taking her out for ice cream. And in the car, she asked, what's the matter? And I said, I just want to be a good Christian. And she said, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> but what is your wretched Clementine moment? Some visual reminder of your deep sin, your failure to trust God and love others. And what has this wretched Clementine got to do with our two scriptures? Chapter 7 of Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 2 of John's gospel. My hope, the point of this sermon, is that the next time you feel truly wretched, you will also shortly afterwards feel truly thankful. From wretched to thankful, a hopeful thankfulness. You will pick up the dirty clementine from the kitchen floor and be thankful. Feeling thankful feels good. But how do we get from wretched to thankful? Let's start in Jerusalem. John chapter 2 verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the Passover feast would have been kind of April time. Jerusalem, 54 up to 70 degrees, looked sunny and it was warm. Nice. And according to one commentator, William Barclay, it was obligatory for every adult male Jew who lived within 50 miles of Jerusalem to attend the feast. And he estimates over 2 million assembling in the holy city, Jerusalem would be humming. And Jesus was there and he went to the temple and what did he find? Verse 14, in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and the money changers seated at their tables making a whip of cords he drove all of them out of the temple both the sheep and the cattle Jesus saw Jesus made a whip of cords Jesus conquered he saw he took the time to plaid cords into a whip and acted this isn't out-of-control, clementine-throwing fury. This is thought-through anger. Why? Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zealous for what? What was the problem with money changers and animal sellers 
couldn't the outer temple be a marketplace? I mean, as I mentioned in the kids' talk, you know, we judge people by their houses. Oh, it's that kind of person. How much more do people in the ancient Near East make judgments about gods based on their houses, their temples? And if you read the Old Testament, the Lord gives detailed instructions about the design and daily use of the temple in Jerusalem because the Father's character is represented by the Father's house. Stop making my Father's house a marketplace. In Mark's gospel, we also learn, Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. So the temple was built with these series of courtyards going in, and the outer court was the court of the Gentiles, the nations, those not born into God's covenant people. And the intent was people from all nations were drawn near into this outer court and prayed to the Lord. So Jesus might have expected a beautiful, multi-ethnic, international crowd quietly and undisturbed praying to the Lord in many different languages, seeking his grace and wisdom and justice. But what did he find? People selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. In the words of Barclay, the lowing of the oxen, the bleating of the sheep, the cooing of the doves, the shouts of the hucksters, the rattle of the coins, the voices raised in bargaining disputes, all these combined to make the court of the Gentiles a place where no man could worship. The conduct in the temple court shut out the seeking Gentile from the presence of God. But why were there money changers in there anyway? I mean, in an airport, okay, but in a temple? Well, so there was a temple tax to be paid. And for all ordinary transactions in Palestine, all kinds of currency were valid. Silver coins from Rome and Greece and Egypt were in circulation, as was imperial credit and the calamari flan. That was just to see if the Star Wars fans were still listening. All right, but the temple tax had to be paid in clean money, Galilean shekels or shekels of the sanctuary, hence the money changers. And just like airport exchange rates, these pilgrims were being fleeced. All right, well, why were there animals in the temple? What is a was it a, a petting zoo or a live nativity? They hadn't caught on yet, um, no. Many a pilgrim would wish to make a thank offering for a favorable journey to the holy city. And most acts and events in life had their appropriate sacrifice, animal sacrifice, cattle, sheep, and doves. And the law said any animal offered in sacrifice must be perfect and unblemished. The temple inspectors examined the animals to be offered and were paid to do so. So animals bought outside the temple, largely rejected, bought inside the temple cost 10 times as much. And anyone who has bought food and drink in an American sports stadium knows how that feels. So God's house was misrepresenting God's character, which made God's son furious. Instead of thankfulness at God's generosity, folks would go home feeling exploited in God's name. So he made a whip of cords and drove them out. Okay. 
But what has this got to do with us wretches and our wretched clementines? How does Jesus driving out money changers and animals help us move from being wretched to thankful? Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for God's house is zeal for us outsiders that we may truly know we are welcomed into the courts of the Lord. Jesus is not afraid of taking on anything or anyone who would stop us from entering God's presence. Zeal will consume him. Jesus is able to deal effectively with any enemies that get between us and God. Zeal will consume him. But what if we are our own worst enemies? There lies the Clementine. Do you ever find yourself doing the thing you really don't want to do? Or not doing the thing that deep down you long to do? You're not alone. Paul writes in Romans 7 verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Did you hear that phrase repeated? Sin that dwells within me. And on both occasions, Paul distinguishes between I and the sin that dwells within me. Which is really encouraging. There is an I, a you, that God knows because he made, he thought up and cares for, but in this world, here and now, is wrecked by the sin that dwells within. This sin that dwells within is the dynamic that resists God and exploits others, that hurls clementines and scares spouses. If only the sin that dwells within could be driven out. Can we do it? some kind of sin juice cleanse, a whole 30, holy 30, anyone? We can't because we also kind of love our sin. We're attached to it, it lives rent-free, dwells within us, and we would miss it, but it makes us wretches. If only there was someone with a greater desire to drive out sin, someone with real zeal, whose zeal consumes him. Paul writes, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wretched man that I am, writes Paul. Wretched one that I am, we could all say. In fact, let's do that. Say after me, wretched one that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. From wretched to thankful, zeal will consume him, and it did, and he died on the cross that our sin, full bodies, might become one with his body, and he was carried into the mouth of the tomb. Zeal consumed him. Death did not defeat him. On the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, from which he pours out his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, who is at work in us when we begin to hate our sin, when we begin to hate all that comes between us and knowing God, when we feel like wretches, when we cry out, wretched one that I am. When I pick up that clementine from the floor and say, wretched one that I am, I remember that the sin within me is not me, And I remember that the zeal that consumed him is much more powerful than my own desire for change. I can be thankful that I do feel wretched and I'm not carrying on smiling, controlling, exploiting, mistrustful, angry. He is committed to us because he loves us and because he is committed to us, we like his temple represent him to the world. So for the love of those around you, Allow yourself to feel wretched when you should feel wretched, but be thankful that the you is not the sin that is within, that Jesus' zeal is for you. And that zeal consumed him and allow him to remake you into someone who increasingly shows God's glory and goodness and mercy to others. Let's pray. We are wretches. We are more wretched than we dare fear, but more loved than we dare dream. Drive out our sin and enter in, Lord, and remake us from the inside out that we might increasingly know you and increasingly make you known. For the glory of your name. Amen.